Those of us who follow Jesus and try to use our gifts will inevitably fail, but this should not cause us to lose heart, but to learn whose approval really matters. It is the approval of God, and that is given to us as a gift through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is particularly important for teachers to remember. It's why I believe that when Jesus sent out his disciples to preach and to cast out demons, he prepared them for what? Rejection. But he also prepared them for rejoicing. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 310. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. The voice that you just heard is our guest preacher for this week, Tim Chaddock. This was recorded in Austin, Texas back in 2023. And it was the final message of our two-day training event. And Tim really ended things very well, speaking to us from the parable of the sower, about preparing our hearts for rejection and then also rejoicing. Uh, Some of these things are just out of our hands, but we want to faithfully be the one who casts the seeds of the Word of God. So it's a great message. I want to thank our sponsor for this episode, Sermons.com. You know when you sit down to write a sermon and you get to the point when you're looking for a good illustration? And so maybe some of us have like books full of illustrations or we just Google illustrations and and it's not really what you're looking for. They're not really stories. Well, sermons.com doesn't make you sift through second rate resources. Every resource is carefully written to help you deliver a strong message. So search and find just what you need by typing in a scripture passage or a keyword. Sermons.com is going to help you proclaim the gospel with excellence. So once again, thanks to our sponsor, Sermons.com. All right. So thank you so much to Tim for sharing your heart and your life and the word of God with us. Uh, I'm going to let you listen to Tim on Rejected Yet Rejoicing. A recent publication revealed America's top 10 worst fears. And surprisingly at the top, yes, even above snakes, clowns, confined spaces, and deep waters. Am I triggering anyone? The number one on every list is the fear of public speaking. Yay for all of us in this room. It is, in many cases, the worst. There's the pressure to say the right things, make eye contact, but not too much, because that's creepy. Make sure people don't fall asleep, all of that. But psychologists believe the main reason that this fear tops all of the lists year over year is because underneath is a deep fear of rejection and failure. And yet anyone who follows Jesus will experience rejection. Why? Jesus himself was rejected and opposed. 
But this should not cause us to lose heart. Those of us who follow Jesus and try to use our gifts will inevitably fail, but this should not cause us to lose heart, but to learn whose approval really matters. It is the approval of God, and that is given to us as a gift through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this is particularly important for teachers to remember. It's why I believe that when Jesus sent out his disciples to preach and to cast out demons, he prepared them for what? Rejection. But he also prepared them for rejoicing. Because though there will be opposition, though we will inevitably stumble and fail along the way, for those who do receive God's good word, it means a changed life. And so in spite of the challenges of teaching, it is a glorious, glorious privilege. So as we come to a close, how do we apply some of what we have learned with with confidence in Christ, but also doing so with our unique call and personality? It's a theme that I've been given called finding your voice. And what I'd like to do just for a brief time is I just want to share four practical principles about finding your voice as teachers But then I want to offer three encouragements for you to go out and use your voice from Mark chapter 4. So if you have a Bible, you can open to Mark chapter 4. But as you're doing that, let me just mention a few practical ways that you can find your voice as they have come to my mind this week. And the first is this. Finding your voice means first attending to Christ's voice. We've referenced this in a lot of different ways. Rod so wonderfully reminded us yesterday that, man, the study of God's word is first about us meeting with God. I was reminded yesterday as Rod was sharing of Charles Spurgeon, who once said that the message that will break the heart of the hearer must first break the heart of the preacher that I hear Christ's voice. Finding my voice means first being attentive to the work that the word is doing in our own hearts and in our own lives. Is this transforming me? Am I feeling convicted? Am I feeling comforted by the word of God? It's often been said that uh, preaching or teaching is truth mediated through personality. And I like that. I would just like to clarify that preaching is truth mediated through your personality. So Lord, what are you saying to me? How does this apply to to my life? We must never forget that in finding your voice and trying to step out and use this gift, it means first attending to the voice of Christ. But practically, as as we try to work this out, and we do want to be practical, secondly, finding your voice means listening to many other voices. I'm thinking of preachers and teachers. Now, this is a brief, but I think important point to make. If you only ever listen to one Bible teacher, 
or read one teacher or one commentator, chances are you will end up sounding just like them. And I'm sure we've all heard that. But if you listen to preachers and teachers more widely, if you read more widely, the range of influences will result in something more unique in your delivery. I was raised in the San Francisco Bay Area, a very um, musical place. My mother was a music teacher. Um, She did get me a trumpet, which I subsequently sold in fifth grade to buy a guitar um, because I thought it was way cooler. And I was influenced by one particular style of music, and I learned to play that way, and that's all I played, and everyone said that's so derivative it sounds just like the thing you listen to. So I had to broaden my, my influences, listen to more things, which developed into a more unique style. Listen to a lot of different teachers. Read a lot of different commentators when you do. Now, some might push back saying, well, I just listen to the Spirit. I would just say that I think it's naive to think that you're not influenced by anyone or that you don't need to learn from others. One of the ways you find your voice is by listening to the voices of others. But third, to be more specific, finding your voice means listening to feedback, the voices of feedback to your voice. I think this has been really formative for me. Not that we are necessarily controlled by feedback. Sometimes the critique that you'll get is unfair or unfounded. But we are to be informed by the feedback. And this works in two ways. There's feedback from your church or the group that you're responsible for or teaching to. And then there's the feedback from your your context. Let me just give you an example. The feedback from your church is very important. A very basic example of this would be when you make a mistake, when you speak. There are many times where I literally would say something wrong. Now, when I was pastoring in Reality LA, we had been a church for about seven years, and the church was growing, we had to bring on staff, and we brought on this guy, his name was Jeremy Treat, or I should say, Dr. Jeremy Treat. This guy is like so sharp, so smart, He's got his PhD, to which I used to also say, I've got three letters too. It's called GED. (laughs) Anyone? No, no, nobody. Yeah, thank thank you. Thank you. So great. It was great to have him on on our pastoral bench. He, He was responsible for a lot of equipping in the church. Here's the deal. We had three services. He would always sit with his wife in the first, and then he would come and give me immediate feedback, and it was terrifying. We called it, his last name is Treat, we called it the Treat Sheet. <laughs> After first service, I would dread, and all the other staff would be like, oh, he's getting the Treat Sheet. And it would always start with this, Tim, overall, it was good. I'm like, oh gosh. However, 10 things. I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, I already talked to you about this on Friday, you know. But there was one time where I just, I said something like, the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. And he literally said, you said the Apostle Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. That's wrong. I was like, oh, okay. He said, it's roughly a third. I was like, okay, that's good. I didn't intend to say something untrue. I accidentally said something untrue. But doesn't that matter? I wouldn't have known unless he'd given me the feedback. Let me give you a few more examples. More broadly, if you're mimicking someone 
or if you're just trying to, to be an, an echo of someone else or parrot someone else or even share their personal stories, which you should never do, but sometimes people do, the people who know you and love you in your church, particularly your spouse and your friends, they'll let you know. They're like, hey, wasn't that a Tim Keller story? You're like, oh, yeah, I guess it, I guess it was. They'll give you feedback. You need to, to hear that. But there's also practical elements like the length or the speed at which you talk. I used to get a lot of feedback like that. Like, oh my gosh, Tim, you talk so fast. I thought I was being passionate. They couldn't understand what I was saying. <laughs> I needed, I was like, you know, and the Lord and the this and the chapter two and chapter three. And it was like, oh my gosh, stop it. Okay, I need to rein myself in. That was good. I wouldn't have learned that without feedback. But let me give you one more example how this helps you find your voice. Context is also important. As I mentioned, I pastored in LA for 10 years, and then my family and I moved to the UK and pastored in London. And there's the obvious ways in which you have to pay attention to your context. Different words are used in, in, in England. In fact, I was told when I moved there, there's no such thing as English and American. There's English and mistakes. <laughs> I was like, duly noted. <laughs> So there were certain words that I needed to get right, but then there was just the context. I was in an international city. Many of the people in my church were those for whom English was a second language. There are many in our church who came from, you know, in this one row, in the front row, whenever I preached, there was one guy who worked for J.P. Morgan, very wealthy, high at the top, and next to him was a dear friend who lived on what we would call social housing. It was a council estate. In central London, he dropped out of school when he was 12. And one of the first sermons I preached in London, I was giving all these quotes, like I thought I was giving them gold. And I will never forget this man, Paul, I love him. He came up to me and said, you know, I didn't really understand a lot of what you were saying, but I loved it when you talked about Jesus. And I was like, okay, okay, that's good. That's good feedback. That's good for me to hear. Finding your voice means listening to the voices of feedback. But, but one more, very practical. Finding your voice means using your voice often. Just do it. I love what was shared earlier. Take the opportunities. And as Rob just told us, give people opportunities. I learned by going into public high schools and doing like lunchtime Bible studies. I learned by doing these uh, Calvary Chapel Costa Mesa when I was working there years ago. We used to do these like concert outreaches. And then I was the one tasked to give the gospel message while people were like throwing beer cans like at my face when we do these outreaches. So whoever asked that question about distractions, I'm like, oh, I'm with you. I'm like, hey, so Jesus is son of, oh my goodness, you know, just like launching things like Jesus loves you. Die on the cross. Rose again. Like that's how I had to learn. You just keep doing it. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. I don't know if there's any better way to do it than to work it out with that feedback, listening to these other voices, but ultimately listening to the voice of Christ. And that's where I want to, to end. In a moment, we're, we're going to worship. We're going to respond. We're going to, as Mike said, we're going to have an opportunity to pray. But I just want to land the plane with three encouragements for you as you step out in faith and use your voice to bring forth the word of God from Mark chapter four. And the first thing I want to say is be faithful in the work. And it does involve work. In verse 26 of Mark chapter four, Jesus says, 
This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground. If you're familiar with Mark chapter 4, you'll remember, or you can read, that Jesus begins with what is the famous parable of the sower and the soils. There's this act of the the farmer, the sower, going out, doing the work, scattering the seed. Ultimately, Christ is the capital S, sower. But all of us who are teachers are lowercase s, sowers. The same message that Jesus proclaimed about himself is the same message that you and I are called to proclaim today. In fact, any church that does not proclaim this message is no church at all, according to the New Testament. We must be faithful in the work of sowing the word. Get the word out there. Preach the word, Paul says to young Timothy. Be ready in season and out of season. We must be faithful to proclaim the word. And that means doing the work. The power is in the word. Notice there's nothing said of the technique of the sower. Jesus doesn't say, and the sower, when he went out to sow, he did this sidearm move. And that's where the magic was. Like, that's not what Jesus says. Now, I'm not saying that God will not use your unique personality. Of course he will. But that's not where the power is. That's not to say that we shouldn't share personal testimonies and and, and stories. That is helpful. But that's not ultimately where the power is. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't think about our our services and how we order them and and, and arrange them. But Jesus didn't say, hey, you know, the, the field had some great LED lights around it. And that's really what brought the growth. It's not what it says. Now, we've just talked about, you know, finding your voice. But what we're not saying is if you get the technique right, that people will grow but rather these practical tools simply help us explain the word and the word does the work. So just to be clear, in the ministry of sowing, it takes work. Be faithful in the work. Study, show thyself approved, a workman unto God doing what? Rightly dividing the word of truth. But that leads to my second encouragement. The effect of sowing the seed is not always immediately apparent. So friends, my first encouragement is be faithful in the work and it does take work. But secondly, there will be mystery. There will be mystery. I want you to quickly note two things. The passing of time in this parable and the mystery of growth. Verse 27 through 29, night and day, Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain, first the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it because the harvest has come. What is Jesus emphasizing here? Well, in a world where we think so much depends upon us, 
where we think we can figure everything out with a YouTube video, a TED Talk, where we can program it, package it. Jesus makes it so clear that the cause for spiritual growth and transformation is not ultimately dependent upon us, and we will not always understand how it is working in the hearts of the hearers. God's work goes beyond human explanation. I love that Jesus says, he does not know how. There will be mystery. You will be preaching in a ministry and you'll be looking at people's faces. Man, it's hard to look at people. There, There was a person in my church for years who every time I would preach, you know what they would do? They would just go like this the whole time. I call it people's learning face. Do you know what I'm talking about? Everyone has a learning face. My friend, he was on staff. His wife had a learning face that looked like disgust. So I'm preaching and I'm like, Jesus is awesome. And I look at her down the front row and she's like, I'm like, did I cuss? Like, what is happening here? Why does she look disgusted? There are times where you invite someone and you're not quite sure they're coming to church and they're hearing the Bible study and You're like, hey, are you getting it? I don't know. Maybe somebody you thought is rejecting it, you know, accepts it. Maybe you thought somebody who initially accepted it, you know, might reject it. Jesus talks about this in the famous parable of the soils. Like, hey, some might initially receive it with enthusiasm, but it doesn't actually take root. Jesus is preparing us for this lesson, which I like to call results may vary. (laughs) Preach the word. Results may vary. It's like parenting, right? Be faithful in parenting. But once those kids, this is too close to home for some of us, right? They're going to have to make their own choices. There's going to be some mystery here. There's going to be some mystery. There's going to be a passage of time. Day and night, the farmer wakes up and goes to sleep. No human intervention can make this happen. I cannot change someone. You cannot change me. It is a work of God all by itself, it says in verse 28. This growth happens. Because in the word of God, in the gospel, there's a hidden power that brings forth fruit that human effort and ingenuity and ability cannot accomplish. Or as Paul the Apostle says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6, simply, I planted... Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. We must be faithful to do the work. There will be mystery in the process. For ultimately, though God uses our effort, it does not depend on us. And there will be times where we wonder in the ministry of teaching what is going on or if we should keep on going. But my encouragement to you is you should, because of this last point, the harvest is worth it. The harvest is worth it. Jesus then goes on to talk about the mustard seed and the smallness of it in contrast to magnificent growth in verse 30 to 32. Again, he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed, which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. 
The smallness of the seed produces the most magnificent harvest. Which is a fascinating illustration because if you read through the Old Testament, you'll discover the prophets often use the image of birds nesting in branches to symbolize the arrival of the nations gathered into God's kingdom. Which shows us that this is not only a parable of growth, it is a parable of grace. Those who have no claim or right, the birds, who didn't do anything to make the seed grow, can benefit from its shade. All who come in to the kingdom of God have no claim and no right, but they will be able to enjoy it as their own, all because of Christ. And that harvest is worth waiting for. And in one sense, this is a picture of the church growing miraculously against all the odds. But it ultimately points us back to Christ himself, who is the source of this remarkable growth, who himself is like that mustard seed, who is though infinitely great, became so small. And yet when that seed went into the ground, became the very reason for magnificent growth. For when Jesus was laid into the tomb on Good Friday, people thought it was all over. And yet on the third day, he rises again, defeating sin, Satan, and death, and bringing victory for us all. What looks small and insignificant in human eyes brings about the most miraculous result. It's all because of him. It is through faith in him that we can look forward to this harvest. Keep on going. Do the work. There will be mystery, but the harvest is worth it. When Jesus prepared his disciples to go out, he prepared them for rejection, but he also prepared them for rejoicing. And I'm reminded as we get ready to pray and to worship of the story of Martin Lloyd-Jones, who I was first introduced to as a young Bible college student who I, I loved. He was the pastor of Westminster Chapel in central London for many, many years. Wrote a million books on the book of Romans famously, with great covers, I might add. At the end of his life, he was dying of cancer. And one of his friends came and visited him in the hospital. And unlike a good friend, that man said, how are you feeling, Lloyd-Jones, being out of the swim of things? Because many people used to listen to your teachings on every nations, and now you're just in a hospital and you're out of the game. First of all, lame friend. <laughs> but how Martin Lloyd-Jones answered that day is powerful. He quoted Luke chapter 10, and he said, do not rejoice that the demons tremble, but rejoice in this, that your names are written in heaven. Lloyd-Jones said, it's never been about the success. It's been about the thrill of being a Christian. It's been about the thrill of knowing Jesus. May that be what we take from this place that the thrill of knowing Jesus compels us to proclaim him and proclaim him with confidence because he brings the harvest. Let's pray together as we prepare to worship. Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would take all these truths, bring them to bear on our heart, 
such a way that we are transformed by them. Ultimately remembering where this all begins with you saving us, bringing us to yourself, enabling us to hear your voice. And that as a result, you would use us to speak forth your truth into the lives of others. And so I pray that now as we have a time to pray and to respond and to reflect that, Holy Spirit, you would do that work in our hearts. Remind us of the fact that our names are written in heaven. And that you commission us and send us out with yourself, with your spirit. For we preach to the ear, but you preach to the heart. So give us that confidence in Christ, even now, as we respond and reflect. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, amen, amen. Uh, Thanks, Tim, for a great, helpful, and encouraging uh, message. Hey, if you're listening all the way to the end, uh, maybe it's because the the stop button is um, out of your reach, or maybe it's because you really care about the work of Expositors Collective. If you're listening to this on the week that it comes out, our steering team, uh, which is myself, uh, Nick, Katie, Alan Stoddard, Brian Stupar, and John Whitaker, we're actually spending some time together. Uh, we live in different states and nations, but we're getting together to plan, to pray, to redefine our vision and see how we can serve you and the broader body of Christ in 2024. So if you would like to pause and pray that we can continue to faithfully equip and help people to grow in their personal study and public proclamation of God's word, we'd appreciate it as we gather together as leaders this week to plan out uh, the future of this exciting ministry. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for, I don't know, joining our Facebook community. There's more than 600 people that are there. Thank you for attending our in-person events, if you have, or if you're some of the few who have gone to expositorscollective.com and have made a financial contribution. Boy, we really appreciate that. And we want to steward your money well and invest that into the current and the next generation of Christ-centered biblical expositors. See you next Tuesday. Thanks for listening. And I hope that this episode and all that we do help you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. This podcast is a part of CGN Media, a podcast network that points to Christ. We are supported by listeners like you. To help us create more great shows, visit cgnmedia.org support.